0: Relates to them, how, how he talks to them, kinds of stuff that he does, and what that could teach us about our everyday life. So uh, let's pray really quick and then we'll jump right into it. God, we thank you that you're a good God, that you are here in our midst, um, that you have something to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that through me this morning and that no matter what we bring to to any moment in our life this whether it's this morning or tomorrow or anything like that that you would make much of the little that we bring because you're a good god capable of doing that speak through me now and help the teachers downstairs as well in the name of jesus amen all right so we're looking at luke 7 one through ten. This is the story of the centurion, which I had not read as much as I have had, like this week. I read it a ton, um, and I learned something cool about it that I didn't know before. So, hopefully, you will have the same experience as uh, Scott unpacks this for us. So let's let's start with reading it. So Luke chapter seven, verses one through ten. When Jesus had finished saying all all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. he was not far from the house when the centurion set, sent friends to come to him Lord don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. that is why I do not consider myself or that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed for I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come. And he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So the good news this morning, family, is that the old kingdom of status and authority, of control, Is giving way to the present kingdom, the upside down kingdom, the kingdom of humility and faith. The kingdom that's being revealed amongst us today. That's awesome news. Because the kingdom of God is here and more here every day and open to anyone willing to humble themselves and recognize Jesus as King. But I don't know about you, I don't always feel like I'm in the right kingdom. Um, I find myself worrying about, you know, my standing and status with others, Um, you know, trying to predict the future, mostly so I can have control over it. Um, I find myself dropping the ball with the authority that I do have, like with my kids, like trying to force them to obey me, which doesn't really work because they're kids and they're powerful people. Um, you know, I, failing to even have control of myself. My, my wife's birthday was this past week, and so it means we've got birthday cake around pretty much all week. And, uh, you know, you pass that cake, and you're like, I'm not going to eat it. I don't need to eat that cake. You pass it like 10, 20 times, eventually you're cutting a little slice off every time. Just a little, just a little sliver, right? Been there, done that. I do that all the time. And then I still find myself having the audacity to like vie for or desire more uh, authority, even though I'm only so-so with the authority that I have. That doesn't sound like Jesus' kingdom, right? I know we're not far into the sermon, but we know that already. See, these are symptoms or side effects of living in the wrong kingdom. And uh, unfortunately, they're not the only ones. Like kind of feel like this is a commercial for, for a new drug, um, and that drug is for something that's you know relatively minor, surely an inconvenience and painful for somebody, but the side effects are like far worse <laughs> than the original thing that they were designed for. But this drug is like the American dream, the living in the wrong kingdom, and the side effects are far worse than any rash. The side effects of the old kingdom may include lots of stress, feeling like you don't measure up, Putting more time into following the presidential race than you do praying. Or putting more time into washing your hands than you do praying. Uh, Stress eating and stressing about your stress eating. Saying to yourself, when this one thing happens, then I will be happy. Letting social media or the news dictate how you feel about the day. Buying more than you can afford, let alone need. Sleepless nights due to stress. Or hiding one or more of the above or lesser-known side effects from friends and loved ones. And I'm sure there are more. We're very creative <laughs> when it comes to that. But there's, there's side effects to the wrong kingdom. Because this kingdom is, this old kingdom is obsessed with power, authority, and control. It's designed to create an in-crowd and then pump out things like xenophobia and racism and every other phobia and ism you can think of. Designed to make a few powerful, and the rest feel like garbage. See, status at the end of the day is having social authority. And authority sounds really nice on the, on the surface, right? Like, it sounds like something I want as an American. Like, I must have control of myself. I must be an individual. I am the master of my own destiny. But maybe it isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I was thinking about my son when, when we are coming up. I like, was thinking about this authority and what that looks like. Because Raphael is four, or he will be four next month. And um, this kid is like living his best life. Like, I look at his daily routine, and I'm so envious of what he gets to do. Like, he wakes up, turns on the TV while I'm getting ready for work and stuff like that. So he watching, binge-watching his favorite shows. He might share with his sister, but she's going to be going to school for a little bit, so they give him more time on his own to pick what he wants to watch. All his basic needs are met with, like, little effort for his part. Vera is also convinced that his life is far better than, than, his, uh, than hers because she has to go to school and do homework and all these things. But you think about it. Like, he's got these two loving giants that feed him all day. He gets to play video games and watch TV and hang out and play, which I get to do the same things, but I don't ever have, like, he doesn't ever have this, like, oh, I need to, you know, pay that bill or do that, remember that thing for work tomorrow or take care of this thing around the house. He doesn't have any of that. He just gets to be in the moment and be present. His loving giants also make sure he, he gets naps and a loving bedtime routine. Like, don't you want that? Don't you want someone to stop you from whatever you're doing and say, it's time to go to sleep. You will be happier and healthier if you go to sleep right now. It would be lovely, wouldn't it? <clears throat> he doesn't even need to read the books that he's getting read to him. All his meals are made, no bills, no work calls, no house ma- maintenance, none of that to be concerned about. And I'm the one with all of the authority in that relationship, right? I get to decide what happens to him, where he lives, what's going on in his day-to-day. I feel like I got the raw end of the deal. <laughs> here's the kid. here's the thing though, he's he's a kid with big feelings. You ever see him mad or sad? It's like nothing to the ceiling. Um, it takes a while for him to get there because he's a patient kid. But once he's there, big big feelings, and he practically rages at the fact that he does not have authority over his own life. He can't make all the decisions about his own life. Um, When he doesn't get his way, he immediately goes into a hunger strike or more likely like whatever we're doing at the time strike. doesn't matter what it is. I'm never playing video games again. It's like, okay. I don't believe that. You would die without them, I think. (laughs) Um, And what's funny is like, I don't feel like being a parent has made me a better Christian but it has made me much more aware of like, my own need, my own deficiencies. Because you get to watch like a little copy of yourself, do all the same stuff, make all the same mistakes. And uh, I'm already watching his heart, hunger for authority. But he does not really realize like, what it costs, how much it requires of him. Because authority is actually maddening and exhausting when you lack the resources to back it up, right? Have you ever like made an ultimatum? This is true for many parents, I'm sure. Made an ultimatum and you just don't have the actual energy to enforce it? Or have you ever been in a situation where like you have to make a wise choice and you just don't have the wisdom to do that? Or lack the skills or time or the money to figure out how you should solve a problem, or try to do any of those things in somebody else's life, it's, it's exhausting. It's maddening. So your authority without those resources can only lead to stress, can only lead to failure and exhaustion and feeling like you don't measure up, and death. But family, we don't have to live in that. See, we can give up the keys to our kingdom and get the keys to the new one. We don't have to deal with those side effects. There's There's a dose of truth we can inject into our life and let it wash over us so we don't have to live with those things that we've been ingesting since birth. And that's the kingdom of God is here and it's available to you if you humble yourself and admit that Jesus is king. But how do we know that? Like, where am I pulling that from? Let's look at the passage. So in Luke 7, 1 through 10, let's just start along and we'll stop when when it's necessary. <clears throat> when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. So far, so good. Makes plenty of sense. There's a centurion servant whose master, there's a, a centurion servant who, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. So what's going on here? We've got the centurion, who's who's representing the Roman kingdom. He's actually an officer in the Roman military. It's called a centurion because he would have had like a 100 people under him, like 80 80 Roman soldiers and like a mix of like servants and and armor bearers and stuff like that (laughs) to make up the 100. Um, (coughs) So he's representing the Roman kingdom, which is occupying the Jewish kingdom. And he's turning to the Jewish kingdom to have them say some nice stuff about him so that he can gain access to the heavenly kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Because he wants something that the other two kingdoms, the earthly kingdoms, are incapable of, of doing. <clears throat> Only Jesus' kingdom can do what he's looking for. And the Jewish elders... They make their best pitch for for this guy. They, I'm not sure. Like I might be reading into this passage a little bit. I'll I'll admit that. But like at the very least, they're trying to convince Jesus that this guy is like trustworthy and not going to like murder him when he shows up. Um, But it actually, like the way it's worded, to me seems like they're trying to say like this guy deserves it. This guy is, like, if anyone deserves some healing, I know he's a, not a Jew, but he, he definitely deserves it. He's earned it. And it's just interesting that they're, like, pleading for this miracle in that way. Um, it kind of shows, like, their value, right? To be honest, though, like, a lot of us approach faith like that sometimes, too. We look at it like, come on, God, haven't I served you all this time? Don't I deserve this. There's a period in my life where I actually did that. I I was uh, working at a church in, in Pennsylvania. Love that church, but I kinda had some weird views about God and I think it kinda soured some things for me. Um that I didn't realize at the time. So like I kinda had this idea like I'll give up some stuff, you know, I wasn't making like a ton of money, I felt like I was sacrificing a lot to, to work there and serve in this youth ministry. And um, But I felt like that meant that other parts of my life were going to be easy. You know, my wife and I were, were trying to have a baby. We were um, hoping that some of our bills would get paid. Um, you know, like all of these little things that weren't easy and they were actually getting harder um, were coming up. And I remember being really angry at God, like, I do all these things. Like, aren't you supposed to take care of me in these very specific ways that I want you to do that? And and I realized, like, no, he's not necessarily going to do that. He He's going to take care of me, but on his terms, not my terms, much like my son, right? <clears throat> it was a very painful experience for me to realize that. But once I did, like, I found myself being in a much healthier spot. Anyway, Jesus goes with him, and we aren't really clear on the reason why, but based on his other actions, what we've seen throughout the rest of this, this sermon series, it's probably to establish his kingdom. You know, like in Mark, uh, early in Mark, he um, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And one of the reasons I really like Mark is because it's like, and then Jesus did this, and then immediately went and did this, and then after that he did this thing, is very, like, like it's almost like an action movie, in it's construction. Like it's very quick and poppy, and like things are always happening. There's not a lot of just like standing around. Um, but what happens in Mark is he says, "Repent for the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand." And then every passage after that is essentially, "Then he went and killed death. Then he went and killed uh, sickness. Then he went and killed unholiness. And then he went and forgave some people." Basically, a status. Not only saying that my kingdom is here. This is what it looks like right now. And so I think that's what Jesus is actually doing here. Because Jesus is not normally swayed by uh, others' opinions, by their pleading, by their bargaining. He's normally swayed by their need. And he he recognizes the centurion's need, uh, particularly the servant's need. So back to the passage. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends. which is, This is the weird thing that I noticed this time I'm reading passage. The centurion never actually meets Jesus. He sends one group of people to talk to him, to get them to come in that direction. When he gets close, he sends another group of people. And then some cool st- stuff gets said, but like, he never actually ends up meeting him. The, the, the friends that he sent the second time go home to find the servants healed. And I think that's significant. We'll talk about why in a second. So he was not far from the house when the centurion centurion sent some friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and this one come, and he comes. Say to this servant, or my servant, do this, and he does. This is interesting because the centurion clearly understands authority. Remember, he's this this Roman officer. He knows what it looks like, he knows how to, to deal it out, he knows how to use it. But even with his authority, it's a shadow compared to what Jesus has, right? His authority can tell people to go. Here or there, and do this or that, but he can't forgive sins, can't heal people, can't raise the dead or drive out demons. Can't deal with any real big problems. Nor can our authority, right? But the centurion also understands what humility is, because he recognizes that he—he's in the, the Jesus is a king that he's nothing compared to this king and he falls on his mercy. He actually kind of like creates this separation because he feels like he's not worthy, right? I'm not worthy to come to you, Jesus. But Jesus knows this, knows that he's separating himself because of his sin, because of his unworthiness. Is still moving beyond that, right? He's not necessarily meeting him in this presence, according to this passage, but from afar, he's still dealing with what matters to this man. So even if we create a barrier between us and Jesus, he's good enough and powerful enough and strong enough and loving enough to overcome it. And we have evidence of that on the cross, on the resurrection right? That's him killing the last barriers, kicking them down so that he can come to us and meet our every need. So when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, turning to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. See, by submitting to the authority of of Jesus, the censorian sees the kingdom that he was hoping for, sees the the king that he was hoping for, the one he had heard so much about, even though he never graces his presence. And faith, like the best definition of faith I've ever heard was Jay just nonchalantly said it the other day, like two weeks ago. He said, faith is the ability to agree with reality. I feel like I've, if Jay J- had said that before, I would have remembered that because that's so strong. Faith is the ability to agree with reality. And that's what the centurion does here. He recognizes in his de- de- desperation, he's got clarity in his desperation to see the healing of his servant. He, both, he must re- lower himself and raise up Jesus. He must recognize that he's not, not enough and that Jesus is. And he does so only ever hearing about Jesus, (coughs) which is impressive, right? But honestly, is that much different from our opportunity every day? We've only ever heard of Jesus. We've never had the pleasure of meeting him, not like physically. I'm I'm excluding like spiritual uh, experiences, but like, we're, we're, we're a lot like the centurion in this regard, though we have the same opportunity that he does. See, the centurion experiences the new kingdom when he lays down the keys to his own. <clears throat> he gives up what is temporary for what is eternal when he submits to Jesus' authority, and he does this without ever meeting him. And we have that same invitation today. We, too, can lay down our burdens and our authority for all that it's worth, We can pick up humility and faith by agreeing that Jesus is in fact Lord and that his kingdom is more real than any physical thing around us. We get to live in that kingdom, a kingdom where our Father is in control and takes care of us, where we have access to God's infinite resources and power so we can actually be faithful with the authority that has been given us. Where everything that we fear comes to an end. Where we can be fully known, inside and out, and fully loved. Where we can rest in Jesus rather than toil. Where sickness and death are no more. Where the Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us. Who wants that? I want that. Sounds awesome. what does that look like, actually giving up our authority, laying down those keys and picking up Jesus's? A very practical one for me is just coming back to my kids. I need to remember how good like, my Heavenly Father is at loving me and correcting me without controlling me. I too often demand obedience from my kids. Um, and I get really angry. They get really sad. And we both get very frustrated. But the truth is I can't force obedience on them. And even if I was somehow successful in doing so, like I had the magic trick of, you know, being the, the dog whisperer of children. Um, it would not guarantee anything that truly matters, right? It would not help them feel loved, have peace, or obtain salvation doesn't guarantee any of those things. So it's even really worth chasing. I think I'm gonna chase inviting them into obedience and humility. Which I don't quite have it figured out yet. I'll write the book when I do. And I think for us, like to kind of take like the macro view, not the nitty gritty view. What does this look like for us? First is humility. you know, Recognizing we're not at the center of our worlds, that we don't have the authority to control the world around, around us or the people around us, that we don't even have a good handle on our own lives, right? So this might look like confessing some stuff to a brother or sister. Just telling them, like, hey, I, I don't have my own life together. And here's here's the very specific ways so they can help you. Meet Jesus in those <coughs> those issues. It might mean apologizing to someone you've tried to take control of, and it will definitely mean letting Jesus have His way with all of your life. If there's anything you're holding on to that says Jesus, you can't have this, uh, that will have to end, right? then uh, faith faith is next and whatever measure we can we need to agree with the reality that jesus is king putting jesus in his rightful place as our new king as the leader of, of this present kingdom and putting us in the right place as a servant and this will look silly to our world right that that will mean we do things that don't make sense to other people It will mean lots of prayer. Prayer Prayers to experience the kingdom and the presence of Jesus. And it will mean risk. I mean, putting ourselves out there and doing some things that make us look dumb and fail, but for the benefit of the kingdom. And then finally, it'll mean obedience. You can't admit that you have no idea what you're doing with your life and that Jesus, was, that Jesus is king without learning how to obey, right? Like, that is the next logical step for, for those two thoughts. And obedience sounds really scary to our Western hearts. But it's like all it is actually is resting in the Father, it's true freedom. Because we're not chasing what we, we're not chasing stuff that can never satisfy us. Instead, we are chasing the one, only one, the only thing that can actually satisfy us. And it requires listening and humility and faith. But those things are not just stuff we have to manufacture. Those are things that are supplied by Jesus too. And. I'm really comforted by that. Like I, I find that the fact that Jesus is here is willing to give us the resources to, to meet the stuff that we can't even do on our own is, is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's mind-blowing. It's awe-inspiring. And uh, I'm excited to hear about the stories of what it looks like when we submit, when we lay down our kingdom to take hold of this new one, where we will see the presence of God, where we see Jesus, we will see the kingdom bear fruit in our lives. For like a big part of like, I'm going off script here, so enjoy the ride. Um, a big part of uh, my my like background and and and. Uh, experience with the kingdom of god was this other church that i went to um out in in pennsylvania that i mentioned before it's the first time i would ever really understood like kingdom of god theology and what that looks like and and how it turns jesus from being just like a nice guy that did some cool things and that one day like i'll get to meet him and i'll be great it turns that into something that's real and present and still coming like, this already, but not yet. And that—that that is so exciting to me. Um, and uh, when I learned about that, like, I really threw myself into things that I felt like would, would bring the kingdom closer, like worshiping. I stand up, like, every time a song comes up. Not because I feel like... It's kind of difficult to explain, but... Sometimes I lead my my mind and my spirit with my body because I want I want to be ready. I want to be there when when the kingdom comes, when Jesus shows up. Um, and I find that like if I throw everything at it, even even the stuff that doesn't really quite feel it, like sometimes I'm just like super tired and I don't feel like being here and I'd much rather be in bed. But if I'm standing up just singing as loud as I can, not as pretty as I can, as loud as I can, Um but sometimes the spirit catches up to what the body is doing. Um, that, And I, I think worship is particularly important because you can't manufacture the kingdom, right? We can't have the presence just show up whenever we want it to. But I do think that worship makes the barrier between our world and the kingdom of God very thin. Like, we can't manufacture it, but we can prepare our hearts for it, and that's what worship does, probably better than anything else, at least in my experience. (coughs) And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about we're we're doing that first love stuff. We did did one a couple weeks ago. We've been doing another one. We'll start getting it in the announcements. We're going to do another one on April 10th which is uh, Good Friday. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Because like, I talked about risk before. The first one wasn't that well attended. It was kind of awkward because we are kind of figuring it out. And I still think God did stuff and it was beautiful and I love it in its own right. But like in many regards, some people might view that as a failure. But I viewed it as, like, the first step of obedience in the right direction for our church. And I think it's part of God pressing into our community, showing up and and doing stuff that we haven't seen him done before. Like, I, I feel like us stepping into that and learning how to do that well with each other will mean some crazy things for us. Some things that we don't expect. And that was my experience when first learning about the kingdom of God and all that. Like, I just found that, I found myself experiencing the kingdom of God with Christians and then taking that to the streets. So, like, I'd be talking to an alcoholic on the street corner, praying for him to be freed of his addiction. Um, God would say stuff to me that I would have to say to another person and pray for them about, and it would mean something to them. Um, I would pray with a bunch of middle schoolers um, a week, a lot, because I led the middle school ministry. But there was one time we were praying for a kid with a broken leg, and it got better in three weeks instead of six. Like, that doesn't normally happen. Um, so I just, like I said, we're, we're off script here. But I feel like um, by pressing into this stuff, by by making some mistakes, by making those risks together, by being humble and letting those risks come and those those silly opportunities come and and still being obedient in them, we will see something cool. We will see the presence of God like the centurion did. Because I I bet he looked pretty dumb to a lot of people. You're going to talk to that random guy from Galilee? Like, what? He's like sick. He's going to die. You should spend time here. Um... And he does it anyway and and has this amazing experience. So I don't know. It's not as eloquent as I would like to put it, but I feel like you get the heart of what I'm going after, and I want that for our church. And that's why I'm pushing so hard for, for this first love stuff because I think the stuff that we do together is stuff that God wants to do in our community too. And we all want that. All right, on that eloquent note, let's pray. God, we love you so much. We love you that we love that you you don't leave us here stuck where we are. That you've provided the way out, that you've provided a way forward. That you are the answer to all of the problems that we have. And even though we lack the resources on our own to even chase after you, right, you you equip us for that. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that pushes us on and empowers us. So we can even have a remote shred of faithfulness. Thank you, God, for making much of the little that we bring. And every ounce of humility and faith and obedience we can muster, make that more, God. We want your presence more than anything, because it's the answer to everything. Help us to be hungry for it. Help us to be thirsty for it. Help us to push everything else aside for it. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us what you're like. Have your way. Amen.